Everybody, welcome to Manga Mavericks at Movies, the show where we don't talk smack about movies, we celebrate them. And today, we have a movie that we have a lot of very positive things to say about. The film Let Me Eat Your Pancreas, adaptation of the novel by the same name. It was released in theaters earlier this year, and now with the Blu-ray finally coming out from Aniplex, we thought this would be a good time to release our podcast we recorded on the movie after we saw its theatrical screening earlier in February. The day after we saw Hunter Hunter The Last Mission, in fact, as we reference in the episode, why was there such a gap between this podcast coming out and the Hunter Hunter The Last Mission podcast if we recorded them within two days of each other? Well, scheduling reasons of me wanting to get certain podcasts out sooner than later, and then all these other podcast backload slash other projects workload reasons. But it's coming out now. It's coming out at a good time, considering the movie is finally available on Blu-ray. And I think you guys will really enjoy this discussion. This is a return of Mind Marriage Ad Movies for the fall season. We've got some new episodes coming up in the next couple weeks. But if you've been missing that movies and want a few more hours of discussion, may I remind you that we have some At Movies exclusive episodes on the Manga Mavericks Patreon. That is patreon.com slash manga mavericks. We have three exclusive At Movies episodes on our Patreon for the $5 tier and up for all patrons who are pledged to the $5 tier and up. And those movie reviews are Captain Marvel... Alita Battle Angel, and Dragon Ball Super Broly. These are mega-sized ad movies reviews, folks. These are over two hours long, and the Broly review is borderline three and a half. They are insanely long and insanely informative and insanely fun ad movies episodes, and they are available exclusively on our Patreon. So if you want some more ad movies, remember... Patreon.com slash at the $5 tier. You've got a lot of hours of content waiting for you there. But without further ado, let's return to the start of a new regular series of Bat Movies episodes with our long-awaited review of Let Me Eat Your Pancreas. <laughs> Hello everybody and welcome back to Manga Marks at Movies, the show where we don't talk smack about movies, we celebrate them, except on the rare occasions that we do talk smack about movies. But today is not such an occasion, unlike the film that we saw last time. Today we saw a really good film, didn't we, We Large DC? Yeah, that's right, a really good film. Wash the taste of the last mission out of our mouth with pancreas. Mm-mm, sweet, delicious, savory pancreas. Hey, V-Lord, let me eat your pancreas. Um, I think I need that to live. Yes, you do need a healthy, functional pancreas to live, as does the protagonist of this movie, as does all humans, but as does the protagonist especially of the movie we saw, the aptly titled Let Me Eat Your Pancreas, about a girl suffering from pancreatic disease, she has a bad pancreas, and she doesn't have very long to live. So she strikes a friendship with a guy who's kind of a loner at school, but who won't treat her differently because of her pancreatic disease, so she can have fun times and good memories with all the days she has left without worrying anyone else around her. Isn't that the premise, <laughs> We Lord GTC? Yeah, yeah that, that is the premise. Yes, did you know that was the premise before going into the film, We Lord GTC? When you first heard the title, when you first heard the name of this film, Let Me Eat Your Pancreas, what did you think it was going to be about? What was your instant, immediate reaction to that title? Okay, so I first heard about I Want to Eat Your Pancreas when Seven Seas licensed the novel. 
So at, when they licensed it, that's when I looked it up and they're like, oh, okay, it, it's about a girl with a pancreatic disease. I mean, I was wondering why it's specifically named I Want to Eat Your Pancreas, but I kind of just assumed, okay, it probably has something to do with the story narratively. And it does. It, it very much has to do with, like, the actual story. Indeed. I will correct you on one thing, though. You keep saying the title is I Want to Eat Your Pancreas, but it's not I Want to Eat Your Pancreas, it's Let Me Eat Your Pancreas. And there's a big difference between the word let, as in asking, and I want, as in demanding. Wouldn't you agree that the tone is very important to distinguish between we lord? I guess, but on, on Wikipedia, so I want to eat your pancreas. Oh, huh. Well, I guess you can translate it in multiple different ways. But, yes, this story was originally a novel written by Yoru Sumino, which came out in the summer of 2015. It very quickly caught the attention of a lot of people. An instant hit. It got a manga adaptation that ran from August 2016 to May 2017 in Futabasha's uh, monthly action magazine. And then it got a live-action film adaptation the following year, in July of 2017. And it was such a big hit that a month later, they announced that they would be making an anime adaptation. They announced that in August... 2017, and the film premiered in Japanese theaters in September of 2018, and now, in February of 2019, we went to a theater in Minnesota, in Nidaburi, to watch the film Let Me Eat Your Pancreas, only a few months out from the Japanese release. Mm, yeah. yeah, and it was worth it. It was definitely worth it. Now... This was your first exposure to the story of Let Me Eat Your Pancreas, right, me lord? Uh, yeah, yes, yes it was. I, on the other hand, have seen the live-action film adaptation. I watched that on a flight last year, in the May of last year, so almost a year ago, a couple months ago at this point, so I couldn't recite to you all of the structural... Uh, differences between these two versions off the top of my head, but there are a lot of noticeable differences between the two versions that I'm quite interested in discussing, and it definitely intrigues me to check out the original novel to see how much is retained between both versions from the original version of the story. Yeah, like, I, I really wanted to buy the novel off Bookwalker, like, a little while back, but, like, I was feeling like I wouldn't have time to read it before, like, uh, it came out over here, so I kind of, like, held off on it. Now, though, I really want to read it for sure. Indeed. I really enjoy the story. I think that I clicked with it even more after seeing the anime version, even though I might think that the live-action adaptation was better, for a few reasons that we'll get into in a moment. But first... Let us describe our theatrical experiences, and specifically how the world was conspiring against us to not see this film. How the weather had rained a blizzard down upon us to cover the roads in ice and sleet and snow so thick that you would sink into it and be lost and trapped underneath if you stayed in one place for too long, how when you drove on the road, it was not only bumpy but slippery, you could turn very barely, you would steer and skew out of control, it was that icy, it was hard to see, the snow kept piling on the dash, relentlessly, when you think you had wiped it off, it just kept coming and coming and coming, oh yes. On Thursday night, it had snowed all day for 24 hours straight, and it was just pummeling down, blocking the roads, making it impossible to drive on the roads, so we could not see it on Thursday night. But we were assured that we could see it on Sunday, that there would be no problem seeing it on Sunday. Oh, how mistaken were we? Because clearly the weather, the god of the weather, the god of snow, did not want us to see this film. Because once again, another hail, another monstrous snowstorm blanketed our streets. 
blanketed this fair country state <laughs> of Minnesota, and it once again was not only really cold, but there was a lot of snow that made it hard to drive. But we were not going to give up. We were not going to cancel our tickets and give up our chance to see this film. We endured. We drove through the snow. The ten minutes to our local AMC, even though there were several times our car skewed out of control and almost crashed. We survived both the trip there and the trip back. V-Lord, you had to endure even more because you had to drive from your apartment or dorm room 30 minutes away from our house in order to pick me up to get to the theater. How much did you go through? What trials and tribulations did you have to suffer through to get here? Okay, so like, I guess generally to get to here from my apartment takes about 30 minutes, it took like 50, because there was like a car accident on the middle of the highway, where like two cars were just completely total and like blocking like the majority of the road. So like all these, both these big lanes are like converging onto the single side lane of the highway, and everyone was going like 30 miles an hour, because like they're super cautious. Mm -hmm. As they should be. Yeah, so like that just slowed me down by like 20 minutes. So that, that was kind of annoying. Yes, but we made it well in time to the theater. and even got to have lunch before the movie. So we did not have to fill ourselves up on fatty popcorn or carb-heavy soft pretzels as delectable as they are. But no, <laughs> we had actually a good, decent lunch of Chinese food! Inferior before. Chinese food, but... Well, there were chicken. There was vegetables. I was satisfied. The good old mediocrity of Lian Chin's. Yes. I mean, what is a food court at a mall if nothing but mediocrity? I mean, if they have a Panda Express that's, like, average... They don't have a Panda Express at EP Mall. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, if they had a Panda Express. Because Panda <laughs> Express is way better than Lian Chin's. Sure, yes, I would agree with that. In... Any case, yes, so we had to go through a lot to see this film, but we saw it. We saw it in a theater. How full would you say it was? Like half full. Yeah, I would say half full. I think that perhaps the people didn't show up because of the weather because they were cowardly. They didn't want to see this film enough. They just weren't motivated. They let the weather scare them into living their best lives. But we. We're not afraid. We reached our destination, and we saw the film. And we reached well in time. We reached right as the film was starting. Right as, what's his name, the Phantom Events guy was saying, Well, we're done with all your Phantom Events trailers, and now enjoy your movie. What is the name of that guy again? I don't know. If you don't know, I'm definitely not going to remember. He's at the front of every Phantom Events screening. Talking about trailers and all their Fathom Events thingamajiggers. And in that one, like, Lupin interview where he's trying to pretend like he's actually watched Lupin. Yeah, yeah, he's, he interviewed John Lassiter about Lupin. Oh, what a fun interview that was, huh? Wow. Yeah, there's there's that guy with the gun, and then you got that swordsman <laughs> guy, and you got Lupin, Lupin, yeah, he, he does stuff. They sure picked a great person to talk about Loop on the Third with. I, I, wow, it isn't like a month later that interview would age horribly. Would yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Well, no doubt they will not try to make their own anime related interviews ever again after that incident. Yup. That will not stop the producers or distributors of this film from making interviews, though, as there was a 10-minute interview with the actors, both on the Japanese side and the English side, before the showing of the film. I have seen a lot of people on Twitter complain that this interview spoiled events from the film, but you, as someone who had no experience with the story, did not feel so. Like, yeah, it didn't really spoil anything. It mentions a few scenes, but, like, I feel like out of context, for one, they aren't important scenes. And two, like, they don't go on, like, super morbid detail. 
they do bleep out a lot of events when they're talking about it. Yeah. But they mention specific things like the hotel scene, or the fact that one of the characters in the script is just referred to as Gumboy. Yeah, but they, you can't figure out who Gumboy is off that context if you actually see Gumboy. Admittedly, I did not realize who Gumboy was at the start because I thought that character had an actual name. But then as I was watching the film, it hit me, oh, this guy who is giving him gum a lot, he's Gumboy. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then I looked it up later and like, oh, man, in the Japanese version, he's literally just called Gumukun. Like, that's the joke. He yeah. doesn't have a real name. He, he's just defined by the fact that he gives people gum and he chews gum. <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's a special power. Yeah. I missed the first five minutes of the interview because I went to the restroom. So what did they discuss at the beginning of the interview? In fact, uh, explain who the people being interviewed were. Oh, jeez. Names I, of the actors. I, I can't remember all of them. Well, um. Okay, so like, it was mainly like, I think they brought the director and a few of the producers and then... The band that sung the ending theme song. Yes. So it was basically them and like talking about their process, like how the how the anime adaption started and all that stuff. Um, how the band prepared for the song, and that was kind of the gist of it. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of de- de- briefly delved into the lead seiyu, and then it shifted over to the English side, and then it went back to the Japanese actors, and more of their thoughts on the movie. Yes, they were asked what were their favorite scenes, moments, what the story meant to them. I believe the lead actor, the person who plays the main male character, Haruki, uh, his actor, Mahiro Takasugi, he was the one who got very emotional and choked up as he was describing his thoughts on the film and what it meant to him. Yeah, like you could definitely tell that this film meant a lot to him. It got everyone else on stage worked up as well. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really nice to see. Quite emotional. On the flip side, the English voice actors were just having a fun with it. You know, they were just joking around, having goops with each other. Well, that's I think what you get when you have like really fun people like Robbie Diamond, who plays Haruki in the dub, as well as Erica Harlacher, who plays Sakura. Uh, who was the third person? The ADR director? Yeah, Erica Mendez. Oh, she's she's pretty awesome. She's a pretty prolific voice actor nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you had all three of them and they yeah, made a lot of fun jokes. Uh they had a lot of like they uh it was Erica Mendez who said that Gumboy was her favorite, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well yeah, so it it's quite a shift. Like you have the dub voice actors like really joking around and having a jolly good time talking about it, and then you had like the Japanese actors who were getting really emotional and choking up talking about it. So uh, I thought it was quite interesting, the contrast. But in general, I enjoyed the conversation between the dub voice actors because, yeah. you know, they're fun people. They're, they're comedians. Uh, they really know how to play off each other in the fun ways. Yeah, I mean, it's clear that both sides definitely enjoy the film. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, certainly. Like, I, they, I think it's just definitely like a cultural thing, like different ways of expressing yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But man, like, that just long scene of Mahiro Takasugi just, like, not having the words to describe, like, what the film, like, means to him and stuff. Like, you know, he keeps choking up on the words and he gets embarrassed and he's he's tearing up and he's like, man, there's so many cameras. I mean, people are taking so many photos. Like, oh, man. That really gets sets up the mood that, wow, you're in for an emotional experience. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Indeed. And so then the film itself starts. And what did you think of the beginning of the film that they set up that, oh, my classmate Sakura is dead. And then they have that flashback scene of the establishing the title of, like, why it's called the Meet Your Pancreas. What did you think of that setup? I mean, like, I guess, like, I'm kind of, like, that they just kind of go from the outside, yeah, she's going to die. Yeah, she, mm. she's dead by now. And I think... Right away addressing kind of the whole logic behind the title is also interesting because it also draws you in. It's like, okay, huh, so this is, this is what the title means. This is what I'm getting into. So mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I thought it was a great kind of like leading and opening. So yeah. 
Yes. Before we proceed even further discussing the film, I'll briefly mention that this film was uh, made by Studio Vaughn, who are known for their work on both Ushio Tora and Karakuri Circus, among a few other projects, but they're an up-and-coming company who only were founded four years ago. So this is like their really big theatrical debut. Yeah, yeah, and I think I was, I'm a big fan of their work on Ushio and Tora and from what I've seen of uh, Karakuri Circus, so, like, seeing this film, I was very impressed with a lot of the work as well, like, they did a fantastic job just with a lot of the environments and just the general animation looked really nice and polished. Indeed. The film was directed by Shinichiro Ushijima, who also wrote it, and I believe this is his first film directing credit. He's been an episode director on a few projects before. He's worked on... Oh, here's a connection to the movie we discussed last time. He was setting production assistant on Hunter Hunter The Last Mission. Wait, setting production? Yes. Like, in term, I think that means, like, oh, he helped scout locations for the background or, you know, in some way assisted with the creation of the backgrounds and layouts. But... He's also been a storyboard artist on several shows, like My Love Story, One Punch Man, All Out, Hunter Hunter itself. But yes, this was his first directorial debut, and I would say it was a strong one, in mm. general. Yeah, I, I'd agree. Mm-hmm. And he is also a good screenwriter, because I think his job with the screenplay was pretty good, if not maybe too faithful to the light novel and the rambliness an expositioniness of some of the dialogue. Hmm. What do you think of the screenwriting aspect of it? Like the dialogue? Like use of long exposition and monologues? I mean, it didn't particularly bother me, but like, I guess like at times it definitely kind of feels like it could be more concise in a way. Mm-hmm. Definitely you could tell this is adapted from a novel and like specifically towards a younger audience crowd. Because of how much it focuses on talking scenes and the length of those scenes and the fact that characters go into long monologues about their philosophies, specifically how Sakura goes into long monologues about what she thinks about life and all that and how she feels and stuff, you know. So a lot of emotion and how the characters are feeling are expressed through dialogue more when they could Probably be conveyed through, like, actions. Yeah, action. Leave it more up to the character acting in animation. Mm -hmm. And less so strewel the dialogue, but I think that overall, it was well-written and charming enough that it was enjoyable, even though I think it... Again, I think it falls into, like, some of the light novel trap of, like, well, this is getting maybe a little too... Delving in a little too philosoph- ideas that are beyond, I think, what the author has kind of maturely thought about yet. I feel like these are the original gestating ideas of this author, thinking about ideas about life and that and what it means to live and all that. And like, it feels like, oh man, I have such a revelation. This is the way people should live and all that. But it doesn't feel like it has truly matured yet. Hmm. But it, all the same, it is endearing and it works in this context. Because these are teenagers grappling with really heavy emotions of, I'm going to die soon. How should I be doing with my life? How should I be living my life? Like, how can I live my life and not worry about the other people around me? And then, I care about this person. How do I express that? What is best for this person? How can I be a good friend to this person? Uh, Like, when I don't know what that means, like, it grapples with really serious emotions that teenagers, you know, might think they have the answers for and then realize, oh, I don't yet, but I think that they would think about it in this way. And they make mistakes in this movie and they have to reconsider their approach to things and how they're doing things and like what they believe in. And, you know, I think that's a very compelling, powerful story that is very resonant. Mm. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly would agree. Mm-hmm. And I also want to note the character designs. 
because this was something that I was skeptical about going forward. So the character designer was Yuichi Oka, and their previous work, I mean, they've done a lot of work, but uh, they mostly seem to be known for the character design work on series like Tula Rue, believe it or not. Now, I was skeptical of these character designs because I felt that they looked a little too... Well, generic. Like, they looked like, oh, these are what anime characters, if you would show them to just a lay person who isn't into the culture, that's what they would look like. That these are kind of the most standard, like, type of anime character designs. But, honestly, watching the film, actually seeing them in motion, actually seeing what they do with them. So my main complaint was with Haruki's character design, because I took, thought he looked completely boring really bland, like, as a character. But that is intentional, because he is supposed to be a person who doesn't stand out, who's supposed to look boring and not look like he's a special, like, person. So he's supposed to stand out in that way, in that he doesn't stand out. But also, when it comes to character acting, when it comes to a moment where he gets emotional, and his, like, stoic facade breaks, and he, like, really expresses, like, a surprising, powerful emotion, like, anger or grief, like, it really works because of that contrast between, like, his stoicness most of the time and then, like, the intensity of his emotions when they do pop up. So they played it very smartly that way. And then I think the other character designs also were serviceable, if not completely distinct. I will say that this is one other area that I think the live action does much better in, and that I think that the actors in live action do look distinct, and I think that they embody their characters so well that, like, they're, again, like what we were talking about before, that a lot of the emotion in this film is conveyed through dialogue. In the live action, I feel that the actors are so good that they are able to communicate so much emotion just through their body language and through their gestures. They're acting more so than the dialogue. Hmm. So this is another regard in which I think the live action is superior than the uh, anime version because, again, there's just that another layer of, like, again, there's good character acting in this film, but I think that the live action performances just are, were more consistently effective in, like, conveying the interiority of the characters. So it is worth noting that, uh, and this is something that maybe we can discuss a little bit deeper later, but like Haruki as a character is very different in the anime than he is in the live action. Oh, that's interesting. So actually, why don't we just go into this now? So Haruki in the live action film, he is socially awkward and very nervous sort of person. Like you, he's like more of a shy kind of person. Whereas in the anime film, you get the impression he is stoic, he is antisocial, like he doesn't really want to hang out with people and want friends. And you don't get a sense that he is necessarily uncomfortable hanging around Sakura, they just get the sense that he is not a very sociable person, so he is a little uh, more annoyed uh, being around Sakura or doesn't really know how to take Sakura's enthusiasm, whereas in the live action, he is definitely more un visibly uncomfortable, and there is just more layers of, like, you know, this is a person who has never had, like, a real friend before, so he is, like, really nervous about what he's supposed to do, how he's supposed to respond, and taken aback by, like, her upbeatness in a way that, you know, Haruki in the anime is just very blunt and is able to, like, have a comeback or have a response to whatever Sakura tells him in a way that the, his live-action counterpart is more, like, flustered. So it's a very different interpretation of the character. I would say the other characters are more similar, but I will note that in the live-action, supporting characters are given much more prominent roles, especially Kyoko, who I think is more significant in the live-action version. She gets more screen time, uh, more dramatic moments, uh, and a big change between the live-action version and the anime version is that the live-action film has this framing device in which the film is from the perspective of Haruki as an adult looking back 
on his time with Sakura in high school. Haruki, in the live-action version, works in the school library as an adult. He's a school librarian. And, like, the frame of devices, you know, he's reflecting on his time with Sakura. Hiyoko is getting married to Gamukan, and she invites him to his wedding, but he doesn't RSVP, he doesn't, like, respond to her. And so, so you can tell that, you know, there's an emotional distance. He, like, really has been suffering since Sakura passed and really hasn't kind of been able to make friends or become sociable again. Uh, and then the film builds up to him discovering Sakura's diary in the school library and then reading the message that she, you know, what she wanted from him, like how can she hope that he would live his life and, you know, that she hoped that he and Sakura, I mean, he and Kyoko would become friends. And so that gives him the confidence and encourages him to attend Kyoko's wedding you know, to make that big declaration, you think we can become friends, to show Kyoko the diary and stuff. So there's this whole framing device that, like, it takes until Haruki is an adult looking back in order for him to be able to move on. Whereas in the anime film, how the resolution happens is, like, very immediate and just, I feel like not as, I don't know, I feel it's just more straightforward. Like, it's, like... I feel like the build-up to the emotional catharsis isn't quite as powerful because it feels like it isn't as much of a struggle and it isn't, and the character hasn't been through like the decade that live-action Haruki has been through of like living with this and not being able to move on, and now he finally finds the journal is able to like make that step. I feel like that is more powerful than like Haruki just a week later be- visiting uh, Sakura's wake and then uh sakura's mom giving him the diary and then like you know while he's still in high school making friends with kyoko and uh moving forward with life like that i still think it's a good story i still think that it is powerful but i felt like more moved by the live action version because it really is like an emotionally cathartic moment when he like is you know he goes to uh, Kyoko's funeral and, like, he, he gives her the diary and, like, that there's this big emotional, you know, breakdown of, like, this whole thing that is connected, this thing that is connected to them, you know, it finally has brought them together and now, you know, they both can, like, move on and grieve for Sakura and, like, also fulfill her wishes and stuff. It does make me wonder what, like, what the ending of the original novel is, like, which one of these adaptions is more closer to what happens originally. I think that the anime film was probably more accurate to the novel. I definitely think after seeing this that the way that the anime film is written definitely feels, oh, okay, this is definitely more young adult light novel kind of writing. I definitely could see that, oh, yeah. This is probably the way it was originally written, and then it was rewritten for the live-action version to kind of have, and I felt like it was a, it was a stronger ending and a stronger framing uh, in the live action, but I also think that it is more crowd pleasing for like general audience, movie going audiences, not just the people in the anime niche. Whereas I think that the way that the anime film is written is towards people who are in the anime niche in the light novel scene, and they like these like long rambling monologues about feelings and philosophical musings about life and that and all that. <laughs> like this like this is like light novel e writing. This is for the young adults people into anime culture. Like the kind of way they like their stories written. And then the, it was like rewritten to be kind of more I think palatable for the you know masses. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel that's like a dismissive way to put it because again I think that was an even that's an even stronger uh, interpretation of the story, but yeah, I definitely think that what is crowd pleasing is different between these these two different audiences, and the and it's interesting to me how these two films cater to those audiences in unique ways using the same story. Yeah, that that just makes me want to read the novel even more and watch the live action as well. Oh, most certainly, like. Even though, upon retrospect, I think that the live-action version is a stronger made film, I think that 
I appreciated the story more after seeing the anime version. Because I guess there is just something about anime. I mean, obviously, I am biased towards animation. And I love the craft of animation. So that will I will always, like, really resonate with it. Especially when it's laden. It's when it's attached to an emotionally charged story. But, yeah, I mean, I think that the story is just generally really powerful. Like, on the surface, I think that it plays with a common light novel cliche in an interesting way. That of, oh, here's the stoic male character and the genki female character. Here's a kind of Kyon Haruhi-esque relationship, right? <laughs> and I thought the relationship between Haruki and Sakura really reminded me of Kyon and Haruhi. But... What's really fascinating about the story is the way where you, when you kind of peel away the layers at Sakura and her facade of being so upbeat and the way she lives her life and her fearlessness and that you find out that no, she really is afraid. She really is scared, but she is fighting her hardest to like not let that beat her down and to like not keep her from living her life. And she doesn't want to worry the people around her and because she knows that they would treat her differently if they knew her condition. Like she saw with her parents how her parents treat her differently. She doesn't want her friends to treat her that way. She wants to live a normal life by the time she has left. And so that's why she takes a friendship with Haruki. Because Haruki is a person who, when she told him that I have pancreatic disease, he was like, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> you know, he just, he doesn't have a big, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry reaction. He's very nonplussed about it. He's like, well, I guess that's her condition. He's like, he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't treat person. her any differently, like, regardless of her condition. No, he doesn't treat her differently. He doesn't mince words with her. He doesn't walk on eggshells around her. He's not afraid of insulting or offending her or being blunt with her. And that's what she likes. She wants someone to be real with her. She wants someone to tell her the truth all the time to not lie to her or hide their feelings from her. And Haruki doesn't. Like, Haruki is always upfront with how he feels and what he feels. And so that's what she likes about him. Like, she, he doesn't pretend to be a different person around her, even though he knows her condition. And I think that is a really valuable thing. I think that, you know, I think that that's what people want. People want to have a relationship with someone who is always real with them. And doesn't like, isn't afraid to be themselves around them. And Harky isn't. And so, because Harky isn't, Sakura isn't afraid to like, invent all her feelings, invent like, everything she can't say to other people. She can't make jokes about her condition. She can't indulge in all sorts of pleasures, like, and, you know, luxuries around other people, like, you know, all those cakes or, uh, all you can eat buffets and stuff, you know, and so they can have like a really real, really authentic relationship in a way that I think is really special, and that's kind of what the ending of the film gets a little hard at. That it's like it transcended like a friendship or even like a a relationship or romantic relationship. Like it was really just something you know, like, truly genuine in a way that was really special. And I think that was a really fascinating relationship to see explored and blossom. Especially since it is fraught with a lot of conflict, because again, at first, to Haruki, Sakura is either a nuisance or just a curiosity at the start, but then he generally grows to care about her as a friend, and he has mixed feelings about, like, whether he feels romantically towards her, especially because she teases him so much, and it culminates in, like, a really really dramatic scene where he's, you know, he's led to believe that, you know, she wants to be intimate with him. And he's thinking to what Kyoko said to him is like, is is this something that I need to do for uh, Sakura? Is this what would be best for her? It's like, that's how, kind of what he's thinking in that moment. It's like he's thinking back to like Kyoko telling him, uh, you know, Sakura is really fragile. Like, she needs someone around her all the time to, like, help her and, like, be her kind of, like, emotional support. And so, like, Haruki is like, is this the right thing? Should I, like, give, should I give in to this? And then, like, when Sakura reveals, like, it's just a joke, like, you know, he loses it. Like, for the first time in the film, like, he, he, like, really gets angry with her. And it's, like, a really uncomfortable, like, scary scene. Like, what he does, like, 
I mean, and then, like, the emotional aftermath after that, like, they're both kind of devastated by, like, what happened, like, that, it, like, just completely was an emotional outcharge, not burst, but, like, they end up working past it, and it, later he's able to just, like, freely admit to her, you know, I care about you. I'm asking you genuinely, are you going to die? I want to know, because I w am worried about you, and that's a really powerful moment, because, like, like, Sakura's, like, wondering like throughout the film like she's teasing him oh you're you're someone who doesn't really care about me that much you know so that's why i can hang out with you have fun with you and like tease you and stuff and but like you know after their like day trip uh their time like in the hotel you know afterwards he's like oh you know what i enjoy this trip like i'm looking forward to the next one and then again that just keeps build those feelings just keep building to the point where it's like yes you know what I am your friend, I am worried about you, I care about you. Which is a really big, a great character arc for him as someone who's like, you know what, I don't care about other people, I don't want friends, no one really wants to be friends with me, so don't bother me. And then he's like, no, you know what, I want to be by your side, I care about you. I really like that, a lot. Yeah, yeah, I really like all those aspects well. Like, I, I really love that their relationship is just not, it, it transcends just some simple, like, romance. romance yeah, it's like a silent voice, where it's not... The relationship is not defined by a romance. This isn't a love story. This is a story of people working through their problems together and learning to become whole and happier people through them. Like, in much the same way, like, the, the big defining line of a silent voice is, I want you to teach me how to live. Can you help me uh, learn how to live? what Shoya asked Shoko. And, like, that's the thesis of a silent voice. That's also the thesis of I want to eat your pancreas. Sakura helps Haruki learn to live his best life, learn to take chances, take risks, open up to people, you know, live a better life. And in turn, he helps her live a better life, too, because he's able to be a person that she can spend time with, be around, and do things she can't do with other people with. To make her feel like a normal, happy teenager, you know, just living her best life uh, without having to worrying about like the, you know, uh, impending debt. Uh, the title of her diary, Living or Dying, is another like important, like obvious, like theme of the film. Like, you know, she says at one point that, you know, everyone is going to die at some point. I just have a shorter lifespan than others. And, you know, I just want to live a normal life until I die. And, you know, that's, I think that's, like, a really great message is, like, not to take life for granted and to, like, to just appreciate the people around you. Another big theme of the film, again, is, like, you know, life is so much better with the people who you spend with and you owe so much to the people around you. Uh, your happiness, your very sense of being. And so you should really appreciate that and you should strive to continue to make connections and reach out and appreciate the people you have in your life, which I think is another really important and powerful message. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Like, this one thing we haven't mentioned is, like, the actual twist of this film yet. It's set up really well. Yeah. That, again, you think the entire premise is that Sakura has pancreatic cancer and she will die of that at some point, and there is, like, a lot of tension where she is hospitalized for two weeks, that is she going to die from this, like, now? You know, it's a really worrying moment, because she could die from this at any time. Is it going to be now? This is what causes Haruki to, like, really break down and, like, tell her, no, I'm worried about you. I want a real answer for you. Are you going to die? And she says, you know, no, I'm not dying. I will, I promise I will let you know when I'm going to die. Thank you for hearing about me, you know? Like that really emotional scene at the fireworks. And so, you know, she gets out of the hospital and you have this great moment where like, you know, Haruki's waiting at the cafe that they uh, had frequented before, you know, for her to come and spend time. And looking forward to spending time with her again after so long. And, you know, he sends the cryptic final message, I want to teach a pancreas, you know, that to express, like, how he feels about her, and that he really aspires to be like her, and, and approach life, and live life the way she lives, 
Mm-hmm. And so he writes that out basically at first, but then he like rephrases it in a more a way that you know is special to them has yeah. a special meaning. Like he initially writes, "I I wish I could be like you." Yeah, and yeah. then he cha- he deletes that and, and writes, "I want to eat your pancreas." You know, basically is saying the same thing. You know, I want a part of you inside of me. Mm. Essentially, is what that means. And then, of course, tragedy is uh, that she doesn't die from pancreatic cancer. She just dies from basically a random act of violence, which is set up earlier in the yeah, film. Yeah, like so they, they set up they set up for a while that yeah, there's been crimes and violence around like their neighborhoods and cities, and like even early in the film, like uh, they mention how like one of the, one of the when they're talking about death analogies. They're talking about, you could, like, die any day, like, on the street. And that that's what happens to her. Yeah. Like, that's what happens to Sakura. She she doesn't die from her illness. She dies, like, just by pure r- random chance. She's murdered just by a random murderer. Not anyone we knew before. It's not, like, it's not her ex-boyfriend or it's not anyone that we know. We never know the name of the murderer. It's just... A random act of violence takes her life, and it's just she's dead just suddenly like that. We don't even see her body; like we don't see anything of it. We don't know how it all went down. It just happens, and it's shocking. And he can't process it at first, but you know he has. To, it takes a while to kind of come to grips with this person is out of his life just suddenly like that, and like he, he didn't have time to prepare for it. It just happens, and now he has to look at it. Yeah, honestly, I I really love how that's executed, because it feels realist. Like, death doesn't, like... You can't predetermine death, like, in, in a realistic setting. And just the sudden, the sudden, like, instance of a death happening in your life, like, that drops like a bombshell, and that's what happened for... Harky. Well, yeah, for Harky. I forgot his name for a sec. <laughs> they don't mention his name until like the very end of the movie. Like it's important that like his name is ambiguous. It's kept secret until the very end because that's another big reveal that Haruki, of course, means spring tree. Compliments Sakura's name with his cherry blossom. Awesome. Like, and that's the whole point is that these people are opposites in terms of how sociable they are. Like Sakura is very sociable, very energetic. And Haruki is antisocial, very cynical, not optimistic at all, unlike Sakura. But they complement each other because they are such extreme opposites in terms of personality. And that's actually what helps them have such a special relationship that allows them to live their best lives for the time that they know them, each other. Yeah, and I, I really love how that's handled, too. Because, like, you'd think, like, by not mentioning... <laughs> Like, your main character's name for an entire movie would feel off-putting, but you really don't notice it that much. Yeah. Like, it's framed in a way where, like, in the natural conversation of things, there's no need for his name to come up. Like, Yeah, it's very carefully written that way. Yeah. And, obviously, in the novel, it's probably easier because... It's it's from his perspective. Yeah, it's so. so he could use first-person pronouns, describe himself as a me and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah, you know, they write around that really well in this version so that that surprise can be kept to the end. And it has that emotional impact that it has. Yeah. Like, be, being able to take something that is so heavily, like, ingrained in the first person narrative and shift it around like that, it, it, I, I was really impressed by that. I mean, especially difficult in English. So the localizers. And uh, the scriptwriter for the English dub did a great job of preserving that. Yeah, for, for sure. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Again, I think that twist is also just very well executed on, like, a level of... Again, it's set up extremely uh, well in, earlier in the film. And it doesn't come out of nowhere, but it feels like, oh, this feels right for the story. Like, it would have been too obvious that, okay, like, Sakura will die from her pancreatic disease, but it's like all the more tragic that she doesn't die from that, that it just happens so suddenly and no one could prepare for it. Mm-hmm. It makes it even more tragic when Kyoko learns that Sakura was suffering from pancreatic disease all along and then like she was always going to die. So I think that was another 
really powerful moment was when Kyoko learned about it. Yeah, for for sure. But on the subject of Kyoko, again, there was just more with her in the live-action version. I really felt that, you know, the tension, like the animosity she had for Haruki was so much stronger in the live-action version, whereas I feel like she just wasn't in the anime enough. Like, she had scenes, but, like, I felt like just the performance of her character in live-action and also how much more screen time she got was really emphasized in live-action, and I felt that was missing from the film. So I was a little disappointed in that, because I thought, like, that relationship between Kyoko and Haruki was also really interesting and compelling from uh, the live-action film. Mm. Yeah, that, that's interesting, yeah. I, I definitely feel like there isn't much of a presence from the supporting cast in this yeah. film. Like, it definitely focuses primarily on uh, on Sakura and yeah. Husky. I mean, yeah, the three important characters are Sakura, Haruki, and Kyoko. But, like, really the duo of Sakura and Haruki is the most important in this film. And, they're, it's like, one of the important characters, again, is just named Gumboy. <laughs> <laughs> he has more of a role in the live-action version, again, because in the live-action version, like, Yoko eventually marries him. But... The Chad Gumboy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, I mean, and again, but, like, for the few scenes that he's in the film, like, Gumboy, you know, has, serves his purpose. Like, he's the person that Harky is, like, for, takes his first steps into befriending on his own outside of Sakura. So that's really important why he's in there. And I get, I do like the ending, where it's a year later, like, at, like the scene before the credits is, like, Haruki running after Kyoko, after Kyoko tells him that she'll never forgive him for keeping the secret of Sakura's illness from her. And then he runs after Kyoko and is like, you know, please, you know, if you forgive me one day, uh, I can't, can we be friends? And then it cuts the credits, and then we have an after credit scene that's one year later, and they're at Sakura's grave together. And it's like, yeah, they became friends, and it's really sweet. Yeah, that was a really nice ending. Yeah. So I do think that even though I would have liked to see more Kyoko, I do appreciate, you know, that, you know, they do become friends in this version too, and it does have a sweet ending. For sure. Yeah. Do you think that this was a more emotional film than A Silent Voice? That's hard to say. Um, I think A Silent Voice evokes a more emotion from me. Yeah. Because I feel like uh, A Silent Voice handles so many different topics. Like, beyond, like, bullying, depression, suicide, um, suicide the f- physical and physical impairment, of course. And it finds a critical message in all of it. And I want to eat your pancreas also does that. But it's it's focused on a singular aspect, like living like a fulfilling life. And I I, I still find that message extremely powerful. But it's also be, because I feel it's a more broader message, I feel while it's impactful, it doesn't hit as hard as a silent voice in places, because yeah, yeah. it is such... It hits more towards home, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, A Silent Voice, I agree, is the more emotional, powerful film. I think it's, like, a better-made film by a considerable margin. I was more fascinated by, like, how the audience responded to Pancreas in comparison to our most recent screening of A Silent Voice, because the audience in this film, I heard sobs. In the climax. Yeah. I heard people were crying. Like, people were engaged with the humor in the movies throughout it. But, like, that built them up to the the climax where they were generally crying and in tears. It's a much different uh, experience to, than, like, our most recent Assange was screening where we I, we saw it with a very cynical audience that did not respond to it emotionally. I mean, I feel that also depends on, like, the types of people are going to see the movie. Like, it was just, like... I feel like a lot of people who see a silent voice now are people who, like, would never really be interested in its type of story, mm. but just go because they hear of all its critical acclaim. Yeah, I definitely think that the audience we saw a silent voice with in its most recent screening was an older crowd, not the usual young adults that we normally attend these screenings with. And this was more of the 
crowd I would expect at an anime screening uh, when we went to Parent Grizz. Yeah. These were like people our age, uh, in their teens, in their 20s. And yeah, they were the kind of audience that would be most respective, receptive to this story. Like, I, I feel a silent voice, especially a very powerful film, but you have to be into its type of story and be willing to accept its type of story. Well, I feel a lot of people who are seeking out films like Your Name or Silent Voice, or even I Want to Eat Your Pancreas, might not be its audience. And that's okay if it's not your type of story. Mm. But, yeah, some people are going to get larger... Like, these films are going to evoke larger amounts of emotion out of different types of people. Like, people like you and me love all three of those, all three of these films. Three of these films? Well, Your Name, Silent Voice. Oh, yeah. And Pancreas. While other people, they might not, because it's just not their type of thing. Yeah, most definitely. I would say that just emotionally, narratively, I thought that Pancreas was a really strong film, and I'm glad that the audience we saw it with did respond to it. You know, that made me happy that they were people who shed tears and were vocally crying at it. Like, even I was tearing up a little bit, I didn't go through with it, but, you know, it did get me. Yeah, like, when I was taking a piss off the movie, I started noticing I had tears in my Oh my gosh, like, wow. Huh. When did this happen? It got oh. you, man. Yeah. I mean, I think the last time, like, the tears actually started dropping was the first time I watched The Silent Voice. So, yeah. That, that, yeah. So, that, that that was a good sign that, yeah, it, it hit me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would definitely think that this deserves to rank up with Your Name and A Silent Voice in, in terms of, like, that a canon of recent, high-quality, really masterfully done anime. Yeah, for for sure. I would say, though, that where it falls flat in comparison to those two films is aesthetic and, I think, the overall production. Because I felt the compositing in this movie was very flat. I felt that the uh, layouts, the way the characters uh, were placed against the background, it looked really super flat to me in a way that I don't feel your name or assigned voice were. I felt like those environments were more dimensional. I felt that they had more depth to them. I did not get that from Pancreas. And I definitely noticed that there were some rendering errors in the composition. I noticed that there were times where like lines were flickering. Uh like it was especially notable at one point where like there was like line in the background that was flickering. So I think there was some compositing errors, some rendering errors at some point, uh, you know, I mm. I don't know how, I guess that they, they might have missed some of those things, but I definitely think that in terms of, like, the overall aesthetic, I don't, and compositing especially, I think that could have been improved on. So, I think that, again, story content, extremely great, uh, music, really Great. I love the ending theme to this film. Uh, the band Sumata, who did the ending theme, was, did a really great job. Shunkashuto, The Four Seasons, the ending song, really great. Really great. I love the music, uh, the score by uh, Sebu. Uh, I, I warmed up to character designs, but again, I think that I would say that in terms of films that were like just gorgeous visually, I think that Pancreas disappointed me just a little bit in, in terms of how it was executed. Though there are, like, beautiful, like, moments in the film. I think, like, that scene where they recreate the cover of the novel, where, like, they're on the balcony, like, looking at the courtyard, there's soccer trees in the background. That's a really beautiful shot. I think there are some beautiful scenes uh, at times, but there are also, like, scenes where which felt really flat to me. Turns out the composite is, but certainly way better than the majority of Hunter Her Last Mission, which we saw <laughs> yesterday, where I was like, wow, this is so flatly oh boarded in so many parts. I, like, I, don't, I don't even think a comparison can be made. There. No, no, obviously, obviously, this film is so much better made than Last Mission. Even if it doesn't have like flashy action sequences like Last Mission had at some points, like at least this film, this film is better in terms of character acting by far. Like, there's some really powerful character acting moments like uh again the bedroom scene the hotel scene was really great like generally there's a lot of love placed into the animation of sakura and her gesture she is a really animated person Mm -hmm. and uh, i think that adds just so much character to her 
For sure, for sure. But, man, I think I would definitely recommend Let Me Eat Your Pancreas. I really hope someone licenses the live-action film for a home video release in the United States, because I think both films are really worth watching. I think that you could still probably catch it if you uh, do a Delta flight. <laughs> so that might be your only way to watch the live-action version. Good old Delta somehow getting those Japanese live-action films. Yeah, but, you know, if you can catch a Delta flight... uh Definitely check the live-action version out, because that's also very much well worth seeking. And check out the anime version, of course, when it hits home video, when it screens in theaters again. Yeah. And uh, I definitely will check out the novel. And, oh, I also will definitely say that, man, it's really amazing Like how we've had like three films that really have grappled with teams of living in the face of adversity, living in the face of impending debt. And both this film... Uh, a Silent Voice and Monastery, specifically the short of uh, Life Ain't Gonna Lose from Modest Heroes. Like, I just thought it was really striking that we ha- we've had, like, three anime films, like, in the last couple of weeks, all focused on those similar themes that, to me, is like, man, like, these are some really emotionally charged films that we're able to see in theaters now, and I think that's really great. Yeah, for sure, that. It's really cool that these types of messages are getting out in anime and in theaters. Like, it's it's so cool. Yeah. Especially experiencing these stories with wide audiences. I think it's really cool. For sure. But I think that does it for this episode of My Memories at Movies. So, V-Lord, where can the good people find you? The good people can find me on Twitter at VLordGTZ. I'm usually... uh tweeting about whatever I'm up to, whether it's watching anime or reading manga or anything, really, so follow me on there. Um, I'm also currently writing reviews for all-comic.com, Demon Slayer, Kimetsu no Yaiba, and Act Age. So if you're interested in any of those, go check those out. And yeah, that's about it. Mm-hmm. As for me, you can find me at Lomoniasha on Twitter and Lomoniasha at a variety of places, including Animation Revelation, Annalist, wherever there's a Lomoniasha, that's where you can find me. I also write reviews for all-comma.com, namely movie reviews, though I still do manga reviews on engagement as well. I should have a review out for I Want to Eat Your Pancreas, or Let Me Eat Your Pancreas, as the anime version is called at the very least. But as for the show, as for our podcast, you can find more Manga Mavericks podcasts on all-comma.com. That's the home of the podcast, where you can find them first. But we're also on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, your podcast app of choice. And definitely leave us a rating and review on there because it helps us expand our audience, find more people. And if you want to follow the show for updates, you can follow us on Twitter at Manga underscore Mavericks. Or you could follow us on Tumblr, MangaMavericks.tumblr.com. You could also subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post excerpts of our podcast and even exclusive content on occasion. We might be doing midnight streaming as reviews at one point, uh, live reviews on the YouTube channel at some point. Who knows? Maybe. It's on the pipeline. That would be interesting. It would be interesting. Uh, not in the cold weather, though. I refuse. Yeah, I'm not doing it in this cold weather. But not maybe in the it. summer. But that could be something you might see from us in the future, so definitely subscribe to our YouTube channel. YouTube slash Manga Mavericks. Just search for Manga Mavericks in the search bar, you'll find our channel. And if you want to support the show, help us out, help us see more movies, cover more movies, you can donate to my Kofi, my Kofi, Lomamayasha Kofis, because uh, I definitely move tickets, toss money, because AMC A-list does not cover Phantom Events, so we have to be out of pocket. So definitely help us out, uh, buy, help us buy tickets by uh, throwing a few bucks our way. It'd be really appreciated, and we'll shout you out on the show. And... Also, if you just, in general, have anything you want to say to us, any comments, criticisms, any feedback, want to let us know what you thought of Let Me Eat Your Pancreas or any recent anime film screenings or just any films in general, you can send that our way to our email, mongamerics at gmail.com. But I think that's going to do it. This has been another episode of Mongamerics at Movies, and we'll see you in the next one. And scene! さよならもここにいるんだよ
Yeah, I know.